Welcome to Bonehead, James. Take us away. So this week, our guest is Mr. Paul Elliott. And and to be honest, I became aware of Mr. Elliott because Jeffrey Combs on Twitter corrected someone who uh, was talking about the antenna on the Andorians in Star Trek Enterprise. And he there was a photo of someone working those antenna. And that immediately made me say, I want to know who did that. And Mr. Paul Elliott is the mind uh, behind the uh, Andorian antenna and several other things that we'll talk about. So that's our guest this week. So, Paul, after he said all that, can you believe that you've got a stalker over <laughs> antenna? Now, we have a good time with this. That's what, actually what I was <laughs> that was the, other, the third thing I was going to say is we, we, we try to have a good time and joke as we go. But, I mean, did you know on your Friday night you were going to have to talk to three Hilljacks from Kentucky because you I'm did? Just, I'm on just surprised show. it's Friday night. That's all. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's true. That's true. But so, obviously, none of us have anything better to do on a Friday night. Hey, not this, in the current situation. I, I, and I, I'm going to say this: uh, James was your initial stalker, and then he sent a. He said he he got you, and then I looked at your website, and now I'm a stalker. So you're. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In a minute, in a minute, we're going to ask how many naked pictures you have on Sam Jackson to be able to work on him that much. But we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> Which should be the other thing that I say. Your real claim to fame is owning the makeup and effects laboratory that has worked on as I look more and more at it. Uh, going back to Star Trek The Next Generation and lots of feature films, which is where Sam Jackson comes in and a lot of other stuff. So probably more what you're known for than my obsession with Endor and Nintendo. No problem. Well, you know, let me tell you a little bit about the company. It was started yeah. by uh, my original, original partner. Uh, he was a makeup artist back in 1978. He started the company with a couple of other people. And over the years, uh, people came in and people left. Other people came in. And uh, in around 1986, I started at the company as an intern. And uh, non-paying job. Uh, I basically wanted, I was a computer engineer for for the last, for for at school and for four, about four years and decided that, you know, this isn't what I want to do for the rest of my life. So I wanted to do special effects. And uh, so they allowed me to be an intern, which means you work hard and get paid nothing. Right. Or almost a year and a half. And over the years, the players have changed. And uh, about seven years ago, my Alan and I became uh, partners and it was just the two of us. And uh, the beginning of 2020, it actually is just me now. Oh. So I own the company. Yeah. Well, let's start at the beginning like we normally do. I'm curious, where did your love of movies, television, comics, whatever, what have you, cinema, where did it start? Well, I was always a huge science fiction fan and always loved Star Trek. That was one yeah. of my favorites. And uh when I saw the original Star Wars movie, like many of people, you know, that's the thing that really set me off and made me want to get into this industry. Uh, and that's what, and I, I tried to apply to every special effects company out here in California, and Mel was the only place that said yes. So that's how my journey began, and that's the only place I've ever been. Well, that's very unusual, isn't it? 
Yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, normally you go from job to job to job, especially makeup effects folks, you know, they'll just bounce from house to house to house. Whoever has a big project, you know, they kind of hire everybody in town and then they just kind of bounce. Absolutely. And, and one of the things about my talents, I don't have a single makeup talent in my finger. Okay. Uh-huh. Alan Apone, he was the makeup artist. In fact, he was... He started as Don Johnson's makeup artist in Miami Vice, and then, then he moved on to uh, uh, Sam Jackson for many years. He was yeah. Sam's makeup artist. Me, I'm more mechanical, electrical, and stuff like that. So that's where my skills come in. And like you said, with, with, with the different jobs, the way the shop works is we're either very busy or we're, or we're very, nothing's going on. When we're very busy, we do pill, pull all those people in Yeah, pilfer. From, different, from different shops. And normally what happens is when there's a big job at one shop, everybody else has got a big job going too. So then it becomes very difficult finding people. Right. So where are you from, sir? I'm originally from Yonkers, New York. I thought I heard it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like you could hear us, I'm sure, from yeah. the moment we started talking. Yeah, I came out to California in 77 to go to school. Oh, really? Where, where did you go to school at? Cal State Long Beach. Okay. So uh, Star Trek, Star Wars, was there uh, other things that influenced you as well? It was like, I've got to get into the, got to get into motion pictures. I've got to get into movies. Was there just that one thing that just, was, I have to do that? It was most, it was mostly from Star Wars as far as the mechanics and, the, and all, yeah. the, all the props and stuff like that. I just, I just wanted to be able to do that. And uh, I socked away enough money so that, it took me almost a year to get into a shop and uh, it finally paid off eventually. We all three work in education and we're always telling people that internships are the way to a job, not getting paid. I know it's counterintuitive, but trying to tell a young person that if you can get an internship, show up, work, it'll often turn into a job. Well, it's exactly true. And one of the things is that, uh, we have an internship program at our shop uh-huh. and what we've found over the years it's got more and more difficult for the kids to stick with it yep you know i'll go a year in a year's time we'll go through 100 interns and maybe three or four of them end up working out and it's wow. like you said you know you have to be persistent you have to be yep. have a drive yeah. And because no one's going to give it to you because everybody wants it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's not necessarily always about the talent, is it, sir? It's a lot of times about that persistence. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it actually is, it leads me to actually a question I did want to ask. So when, when you're looking at these interns or those interns that get really involved, if somebody is listening to this and, and wants to get into this, what are your recommendations? What, what do you look for and what would you say they need to do to, make that kind of leap well one of the things is is that it's not necessarily i mean there are extremely talented people out there i mean just flat out artists and Mm -hmm. they have a step up on the guy that doesn't really have a lot of talent but the artist that doesn't have the drive and the the willing to put the time and put the effort in uh i'm gonna I'm going to always hire the person that puts the work in. And at my shop is, you know, an intern 
what we usually will end up doing is if an intern has worked out well for us for three or four, three months, let's say, uh, the next time a job comes in, I'll hire the intern. And that's their foot in the door. That's the only way you can get a, because then they can say, well, I worked at this shop, so you can now go and work at another shop or she can go work at another shop. Right. Absolutely. So, so let's talk about, so you, you've applied for all these jobs and you finally get hired on at Mel. I got, I just had curiosity, you get hired on, what is the first project you work on there? I was, I had to clean out the mechanical room. Oh, <laughs> I had to sort sort nuts and bolts. Oh my! <laughs> nuts and bolts, nuts and I, bolts. You, you got know. screwed. <laughs> yeah, I did absolutely. And but the fact that I stuck to it and I reorganized it showed them something, you know. And uh, eventually, I got got to be used on other things, and you know. That's the way it works out. That's the way I worked my way up the ladder and now it's mine. So what was your, um, out of curiosity, what was your foot in the door? What project did they give you where they, they hired you on? What was the very first well, one? It, it, they, basically what my foot in the door was a friend of a friend. Um, Alan had worked at a company beforehand and I worked at an electronics firm with this other guy. And he said, you know, well, I have a friend, so they sent me over there and that's how they brought me on. It was, it was purely coincidence because I was basically given up. It was four, almost five months of looking for shops to get into. And it was this last ditch thing that got me into it. So was it four or five months of just trying to find an internship, much less yeah. a paying gig, right? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I didn't get paid for almost a year. So what was your first movie? What was your first show that you worked on there? The first thing I did there was a uh, when the Sci-Fi Channel first came out on television. Yep. First time as a network, they had an alien puppet that was in the intro, mm -hmm. and I worked on I worked on that puppet. So that was the first claimed fame for me. Which is funny because the first thing ever shown on Sci-Fi Channel was Star Wars. Yeah. I'm almost positive, right, guys? Wasn't that the first thing that was shown on Sci-Fi Channel I was Star so. Wars? I know. I, was, I think I was watching it. I was a little bit of a nerd myself, if you didn't already guess that. So <laughs> so you started on the puppet. Mm -hmm. Now, being a computer, so you were an com engineer, how, yeah, how did you transfer those skills to basically kind of more of a – so a friend of ours is an ele electrical engineer, and then I'm – work in higher ed so i know people who are you know into computer engineering and, and civil engineering yada 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 how did you transfer those skills do you see well, what I'm how did you yeah, learn to start to learn that trade well basically the i used some of that but the other part that i had i had a knack for was mechanical yeah uh you know and you know i was the kid that when the washing machine was broken at home i always took it apart and was able to fix it with a pile of parts sitting on the pile on the side after it went back together, <laughs> <laughs> explaining to my mom that, well, you know, it still works. You don't need all those parts, you know? Right. Uh, so I always had a mechanical. So, so at, at Mel, they had a uh, pretty uh, decent machine shop. So, and, and that, that place where I sorted all the nuts and bolts, well, that's where the machine shop was. So I learned to work on the lathes mm -hmm. and, and the mills in there. So, 
whenever anything came in that was something that had to be machined or something like that, that's where I, I got my experience from. And, and basically it's from people in our industry, okay, are not willing to extend themselves to you unless you're showing them that you have the desire to really learn. And I was fortunate enough that there were a bunch of people that went through the shop, you know, they would hire, hire a mechanic that came in and if he was nice enough, he would let me watch. And that's what I did, you know, I tried to soak it all up. Okay, all right. So uh, one of the things that, and I, I don't mean to keep going back to the Andorian antenna, but going back to also talking about the robotics you did for the puppet, um, one of the things that Jeffrey Combs actually mentioned at one point was somebody asked the question about what were they distracting, you know, having that a, a puppeteered mechanical element on your head. And he said actually that they were really whisper quiet and, and he was very, very complimentary about that. And that was, I, I just was thinking about what was the control mechanism for that? Was it a, a well, a, let me, let me, let me back up a little bit about, about that. Um, you know, the shop has been working on Star Trek since, you know, next generation time. Mm -hmm. And our, our uh, big in and contact with was Michael Westmore, mm -hmm. makeup artist for Star Trek and all the years and, you know, famous makeup artist. So yeah. he, he's the one that would, would, would uh, got us into the Star Trek, the Paramount world. Then we got in, involved with a uh, uh, another gentleman who was the uh, uh, prop master for, uh, and I'll think about his name in a second. But essentially, what happened with uh, Enterprise and 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 the uh, Andorian antennas is Michael Westmore came and said, "Well, we'd like to do this, but nobody knows how to do it. You know, what 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 can you do?" So Michael had sculpted these antennas. And um, basically what I did is I created a, it's, it's almost like a tentacle um, uh, with that was mounted to a plate, okay? And then the plate was mounted to the back of the head and then that was covered up with the wig and stuff. And then mm -hmm. cables came down from the tentacles to a pack on the, on his, on the bottom of his belt that had the servos in it. Actually, no, let me back, it's been a while. Let me back up. The servos, uh, there were there were four servos that were actually mounted to this plate also. So it was a pretty large, it was a pretty large thing that they had to hide with the makeup and the wig that existed on the back of the head. Um, the power for were battery packs that went down to his belt, now that I remember that. And basically it was an RC controlled uh, uh, with a uh, radio controlled uh, radio and the two joysticks on the, on the thing would control, you know, you can go front, back, left and right. Okay. Or independently like this. So that was, that was my job when I was on set. And what was, what made it so much fun is first of all, Jeffrey Combs is an awesome person. He's, He's a great actor and stuff like that. And, and we would talk about, you know, he would explain to me what he had to do in the scene and stuff like that to give me a, a key. And we started getting into a rhythm where um, 
as a puppeteer, because I've been a puppeteer on other things too, is that you become part of the character. Right. A, you're, you're, almost, you're an actor that, that actually gets to act in the scene. And, um, and that's the way I approach it. And that's the way that, that it worked out so well with, with the, the show. That's what I was going to ask as my follow-up. But first of all, you're right. We spent some time with Jeffrey, and he's hilarious. I've, I've had the chance. But it's neither here nor there. I love some a lot of the inappropriate jokes. But so I imagine you had a good time being with him all that time. But you, you guys, did you develop a shorthand? Were you the only one doing that? Basically, the I was, depending upon the episode and the scene, okay, there was usually either one or two Andorians in the scene, but I was always doing the main one. Right. Uh, my partner, John Pfeiffer, uh -huh. was doing usually the background characters, the second secondary ones. Um, and uh, it was just it was just a lot of you know a lot of interaction with what was happening on the set. We've developed some. I, I developed some feeling as far as, you know, what does this end, antenna do as far as reacting to environment, you know, mm -hmm. where, where it was either angry or sad or happy or you tried to convey that. And I don't remember the specifically what I came up with, but you try, I tried to stay consistent with that throughout the whole thing so that you as watching the character would realize what was happening right. in the scene by looking at the antennas also. Yeah, it's just like another, it's like your mouth or another set of eyes, just something exactly. else to give you that non-verbal non communication of what the character is experiencing. Exactly. Yeah. So while, we talk, while we're talking about puppetry, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to bring this up. I'm going to go right to it because when, when James said he booked you, I got on the website mm -hmm. and I was automatically interested. But what really got me perked up was when I saw the Goomba. <laughs> uh, I am I am an unabashed fan of Super Mario Brothers. I have the original motion picture poster, um, uh, and you know I I just love that movie. I know that it wasn't probably an interesting time shooting that movie based on the stories that we have heard. Oh no, um, it was interesting. <laughs> uh, you you got to share some. If you don't you mind, I would love to hear stuff. some stories. Yeah, because yeah, well, I, I mean, you know, one of one of the one of the interesting. Th I was I was. This was back in ninety ninety two or ninety four, so I was still more in the background. You know, I yeah. When we when we uh, when we first designed at the shop, the Goombas and stuff like that. They originally were um, uh, cable connected. Uh -huh. Okay, so that the Goombas were actually, you, they couldn't walk around without it. And when we got to, to uh, North Carolina, then uh, I figured out a way to do it remote controlling. So that was the part that I kind of added to that. Um, that set, I mean, it was a that was one of the best set experiences I've ever had because they put us up in North Carolina for two months. Wow, on mm -hmm. the beach at Bright, you know, Brighton Beach. Yeah, and it, it was it was it was great, <laughs> you know. So I've got nothing but 
you know, high praise for what happened. Now, on set, it was kind of difficult at times because the two directors, they didn't like each other, but they were married. <laughs> we heard. <laughs> so, so that added to some of the complications and some of the, some of the uh, problems on set. And, you know, it, it's still, the funny thing is, is like, like Hark, the, the, the main Goomba, okay, did not start out as such a prominent character in the film. But once they saw what he did and stuff like that, they they increased his role as far as uh, being a character in it. So. so you have to have at least one good meltdown story. Huh. I know it's been a while, and normally I wouldn't press, but I'm with Chad on this one. Yeah, that I mean, you know, that we, movie we, is notorious. And by the way, I'm, I, I love the sets. I love the production design. But I mean, it's notorious from the actors telling all the stories, from the directors, from the producers. Yeah, I believe there was a story of the directors even like they coming up with one of the, the, the side characters in costume and they didn't, they hated the makeup and costume so bad that they actually poured hot coffee on the actress wearing it. I mean, it was... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I didn't, again, I was a little bit more in the background on that, on that yeah. film uh, that, that I didn't get to experience. So I don't really have any great stories from that. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll lead into the next. Go ahead, Chad. I, but I do got to ask, do you at least still have a Goomba in the studio? Because I've seen those, I've seen those pictures and I'm just like, oh, man. <laughs> we, have, we have one left, but I don't, I've got the mechanics for it, but I don't have the, I no longer have the costume for it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, uh, because there was a phase there where the shop, you know, because a lot of the stuff that you make does not have a, a shelf life. Okay? Right. It, the foam latex and stuff like that does right. break. Yeah. Period of time, we sold off a lot of stuff to places like, uh, you know, collectors and also things like Planet Hollywood had gotten a lot of our, our, our stuff. Um, they in fact got the uh, the mechanical horse from True Lies because one of the owners was uh, uh, Arnold. Yeah, short uh. Well, yeah, I, I never thought about that business part of it because you basically make one of a kind collectibles for geeks and nerds for later on, specifically if a movie is huge or if it has a huge cult following like Super Mario, some of the things laying around your shop are worth thousands and thousands of dollars we do we, more. Do, we do have some you know when you make something um you usually make molds for it and then you mm -hmm. run the pieces in it i've got 10 and 15 year old molds that are from movies that you know you know masters of the universe we've got molds for you know yeah. things like that that um and like for star trek we've got a ton of molds but they're the one place that it never leaves the shop because Paramount's very, you know, they don't want their stuff out there because they're not, or if they, if they do, they want a piece of whatever you're getting for selling it. Yeah. So I've got a ton of Star Trek molds and stuff from, from next generation on that I can't do anything with unless it's with Paramount. And you would yeah. think Golem and Globus would be all about that extra cash. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the canon group for Masters of, <laughs> Master of the Universe. Uh, I Back to what we were talking about. So you're a young guy, I would imagine. So you're probably in your mid-20s when you started there. I, I, the, pretty much 
well, let's see. In 94, I got married. I was in my 30s. So, yeah, I started about, you know, 26, 27. Right. So you remember, I, I find it fascinating because I often do this too. And I'm, I'm I'm only in my 40s, but look back and about, oh, well, they put me up here. It's, it's far different than the actual experience. So I'm kind of curious. What was the first movie movie that you were on, like on location? Uh, Beastmaster 2 which is one that we all still love and adore right after all this time what did you do what did you do on the beastmaster 2 sir the beastmaster 2 we did a um i was assisting a partner my partner john pfeiffer mm-hmm. who was the swamp creature wow. so we filled it with it was filmed out here in santa monica mountains you yeah. know close to where they shot mash um and uh you know i was just assisting with him on that um an early very early set time one of the ones was for i was on an ac i was on a um i'm trying to remember the name of the group i can't remember the name of the group uh guns and roses acdc it was it was the bo- it was the band that the drummer had his arm chopped off. Oh, Def Leppard. Def Leppard. Def Leppard. Yes, it was a it was a music video for Def Leppard, <laughs> and uh, they they had a scene where they wanted uh, liquid metal to boil on a on the drummer's kit. Right. So that was me doing the uh, uh, the doing the liquid metal on the kit. That's so pretty iconic. Always, yeah. Yeah, it was definitely iconic. So set set work is um is always very interesting. Uh, one of the most fun sets that, and one of the most crazy sets was uh, on True Lies, where uh, I was the horse. <laughs> now, I've, there's so many jokes here, and I just don't know you well enough, Paul, about oh, which side of that yeah, horse. I, no, I was no, I, I was the horse's ass. There you go. There you go. That's where you I thought we were going. Uh, so basically, what happened is is that they they had uh, in the beginning of the True Lies, they have a horse that Arnold's chasing around town, yeah. and he goes into the um, elevator with the horse. Mm-hmm. And then the horse goes up. Well, unfortunately, the weight capacity for those elevators, they filmed it in the Bonaventure Hotel yeah. down in Los Angeles. It wouldn't lift up a horse. So we created this mechanical horse where I was inside it and Arnold was sitting on top of it. And I puppeted the horse's head and his tail. And it was all kinds of cracks jokes that you know arnold was like oh, i just farted you know he got a big kick out of that so what you're telling us is you carried arnold through that performance i did i did <laughs> well i have to give you a compliment because i sure as shit did not know that that was a mechanical horse as many times as i've yeah. seen that movie it the one that's in the elevator is mechanical yeah i did um, not so- know that yeah, and I'll be honest with you. I actually went to, I was in Los Angeles a couple of years ago. I actually was in that hotel and went up that elevator envisioning that scene in my head. So, yep, there you go. <laughs> so what was some, so were you on, is that the only thing you did on the movie? On that one? Well, we also did, uh, uh, I wasn't part of it, but my partner, John, was uh, there. There's a scene also in the beginning of the movie where um, the um, Arnold's at the, plateau out in the middle of the 
some Arctic or cold area and he's chased through the snow mm -hmm. and these two Dobermans leap at him um, and he smashes their heads together. And yep. to yeah. Well, we made the Dobermans that smashed and went to the ground. <laughs> I, so, I, now, now, mind you, uh, I wasn't, you know, John was, uh, John Pfeiffer was the one that was there. And uh, I'll tell you, Jim Cameron is not an easy person to work with. We have heard that before from many, many people. And actually that was about, I wasn't going to be specific about Jim Cameron, but I want to hear some stories that you may have with some directors, not only good or bad, but because. Well, basically, basically Jim is, Jim is, was a very demanding director. Um, in fact, the reason why, I believe the reason why we got that is, is that um, very early on in Jim's career, um, Alan Apone, who started our company, um, mm -hmm. they and Doug White, they worked on a movie called Galaxy of Terror. But they they worked at New World, right? Yes. No, they worked at, at Mel. Galaxy no. of Terror. We created the. Yeah. Um, I think they built the the famous uh, worm. The thing that fucks the girl. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> Sorry, cool. just to let you, just in case you know, that's it's that kind of show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We uh, Robert you know, Eaglin says that he still gets asked about that today, which is funny because he's Freddy Krueger. But he's yes. like, "Aren't you in that movie where the thing fucks the girl?" <laughs> Sorry. So I think that's where uh, Jim Cameron learned, uh, remembered us because we did that thing. That's why he had us do the horse in True Lies. But uh, the funny thing about Jim is that all his crew, everybody that worked with him has worked with him for years and years and years. Uh-huh. But he's a can be a horrible person to his own people. Mm -hmm. I saw him I saw him uh, lash out at a AD and she was in tears. But she came back the next day because, you know, he's got all the work and she I guess they learned that that's just his way. Um is it an anger management problem? Is it a perfectionist problem? Because he is a perfectionist. I think it's a perfectionist problem. And if the people around him don't achieve that, that he, he that's how he responds to get the perfection out of people. And, and, and a lot of people can, like I said, the people that worked with him, you know, you ask them, well, how could you put up with this? Well, he's always working and he's always, he always comes back around afterwards. But at the moment, when he's shooting something and he doesn't get what he wants, you know about it. Yeah. And it's an actual, he's an actual screamer. Yes. Yeah. Well, he was at the time. I don't know how he's, how he's moved on, you know, but you know, the stories about Jim are, are true. You know, um, other directors that were pretty tough were, you know, uh, Joe Pitka was a, is a director that did a whole, he always end up doing a Super Bowl commercial. Uh huh. So, and he was a very, very difficult director to deal with. So, but other than that, you know, most, most like on the Star Trek, you know, they had a, a running uh, a different director every week. Or, you know, sometimes they'd bring them back for another two weeks and stuff like that. So, and they were always usually very nice and very good. 
Well, who was somebody that you've really enjoyed working with? Maybe someone, you know. Well, one of the one of the one of the absolute nicest person in the world to work with was Scott Bakula. Okay. Wow. Okay, from Enterprise. Knew everybody's name on the set. Mm-hmm. And he made sure he he said hello to everybody. And hmm. he was the pleasure to work with. Um uh, the fun, one of the funny things that we uh, we worked out as there was one scene where uh, they're in the conference room and Scott's in there and then Jeffrey comes in and we wanted to have some fun with Scott. Now, mind you, the antennas, they were noisy to a degree. So when the when they're moving, they're going squeaky, squeaky, squeak, squeak, right? Like that. Mm-hmm. So there was a scene where uh, everybody decided that this was just going to be fun to mess with Scott, okay? That on top of the antennas, uh, there was one scene where one of the antennas was damaged or something. I don't remember what it was, but we got one of those 76 um, uh, gas station balls. Yep. Stuck it on top of the antenna. <laughs> and Jeffrey came into the room and he's behind Scott and, and I'm squeaking it, squeaking it, you know, trying to get Scott to turn around. And uh, he never, he, he's, he's like so professional. He's still going through his lines, even though he knows what the hell is he, what the hell are you doing back there? You know, because it's not supposed to sound like that. Then when he turned around and saw the ball on top of his head, everybody cracked up on set. <laughs> I, I, I do have another question. Knowing that they're remote controlled, what is the range on a set of Andorian antenna? <laughs> it could be at least 50 feet away. Okay. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I, just questions that I'll, I'll never get another chance to ask, so I'm sure. going to ask them now. So 50 feet, yeah, that's, that's a pretty good range. So back to you started out and then mechanical. Did What, what have been some of your favorite accomplishments? throughout well, the time some, some of them, you know some of them are you know i did a i i designed and built a really cool uh mechanical um robot for mm-hmm. the movie sphere oh yeah okay and it's it's in the very beginning of the movie and it was a very large budget you know movie and we got it was a very you know, we spent a lot, you know, almost three or four months building this thing. And sometimes in, 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 in this industry, you have to, you know, let stuff roll off your shoulder and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Because when it finally got onto camera, it was never seen on the camera. It was seen through a video feed and it could have been this tiny little thing. You never would have known the difference. Right. So it, it never got to play that, you know, and, and that, 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 that was the other thing where, where um, in this industry, uh, you know, you, if you work on a movie or you work on a TV show, you, you, you'd love to see your name in the credits. And a lot of times it doesn't happen. So early on, I learned not to take that for granted. And, you know, if it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't, you know. Now, do you not know that until you actually go and see the movie that your name's in the credit, that your name's not in the credits? Correct. Oh. Because it's, it's <clears throat> usually there's a, it's a, it comes down to production, whether, you know, they have a limit 
that they can put in. Right. You know what that is. Yeah. So, and that's also, that's just the amount of money they spent. That's just bad producing and, and managing of, of, of time and energy and the cash, right? Big time. Yep. Yeah. It's just bad. Anyway, I was looking at some of your TV work and I, I'm bum fuzzled. What the hell were you guys doing on two and a half men? And how much blow were you doing with Charlie Sheen? <laughs> what we did on Two and a Half Men is on... on I mean, the- I'm not going to judge you. Yes. This is between <laughs> us. I would have done blow with Charlie Sheen, too. <laughs> Just so uh-huh. I could have said... I told. I would have lived on 10 years of telling that story. Keep one going. Of the, uh, one of the things the shop is known for is its makeup effects. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, two or three episodes, I believe, on the show where John Cryer uh, is, goes into an old age makeup where he's this old man in a bar yep. that talks to Charlie. And uh, the person that uh, designed and made that makeup was Kevin Haney. Mm-hmm. Bring in for, you know, to work at the shop when the job thing. So he did all the prosthetics on on him and stuff like that, just like he did all the prosthetics on Sam and uh, and Django. Yeah, yeah. I just want you to lie to me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm glad I could make you smile. <laughs> Go ahead, James. I, I I do have a question because one of the other things that Mel has done, and and I was a big fan of that. Sadly, is not there anymore. But you've done it for other places as well. Uh, the board costumes and the the non-pyrotechnical electrical elements for Star Trek The Experience, but also Disney Splash Mountain in Japan uh, doing the fab- fiberglass characters and things like that, as well as doing fabrication for Universal uh, City Walk. Mm-hmm. And, and what I want to get at there is what's the difference when you're thinking about how to make these things? How is it different if it's for a movie that may be you know, once it's filmed and it's on film, maybe, you know, the wear and tear doesn't matter versus if it's going to be displayed. And, and I would imagine the board costumes for Star Trek The Experience were daily wear. So is there a difference in how you prepare or how you, uh, for lack of a better term, machine those? Absolutely. Um, because you have to find out, uh, the, the perfect example is commercial versus movie. Yep. Okay. When you design and build something com- for a commercial, it's got to last for three days. Okay, so that will determine and guide you as far as what materials you use. Okay, uh, there are a lot of materials that look great for three days, but after three weeks, will just won't, won't be there. They'll break down. So then you have to go to different materials uh, when you do something for a movie. And the material has to last for that mechanical movements or last for the makeup or whatever it is. Um, and it's and it's typically the material is a lot more expensive to use on a movie than it is for something like that. Mm-hmm. Well, what's some of the things that you've done for different amusement parks? Well, for uh, funny thing is, is for Universal Studios. Uh, Back in the day, we did, uh, there was a Doc Brown exhibit uh, where he's up there at the top of the clock tower. Mm-hmm. In, uh, so we did the character and the lights and stuff that went through him. 
I mean, we've done things like a at the uh, Scientology, L. Ron Hubbard's mm -hmm. um, museum in Hollywood. They had a uh, a room where they wanted a volcano to be able to erupt because of the uh, where they'd bring these young recruits in and sit them down and learn the Hubbard story and brainwash into them the the whole Scientology thing and and at the end of it this this volcano would erupt so we built that uh oh stop there stop there so because and i'm sorry to interrupt but sure. screw it i don't want a charlie sheen blow story anymore <laughs> i want a great scientology story you just keep just just you just keep on adding on i'd love to hear this well, about the well, volcano funny thing the funny thing is the only thing about scientology is that um they have a lot of money mm -hmm. okay and they are persistent. So we let's say we did that job back in 94, okay? Mm -hmm. um, at the time, my partner, John, says, well, let me just go see what this is all about. So he, he signed up for an initial thing. Mm -hmm. To this day, I get mail with his name on it from Scientology. <laughs> to this day. And that's, that's, that's 15, 20, that's 20 years. It's 26 years. Yeah, 26. <laughs> and they're wow. still sending to try and recruit. So, Maybe. you know, it, and, and, and it's just, it was just sad to see all these young kids that were recruited into it and stuff like that, that were just believing all this crap. And uh, it was just, you know, Maybe there's a happy middle ground here, though. They show persistence, and you need persistence in interns. If we can get these two together, maybe I don't know how you need to recruit work. from Scientology, sir, <laughs> or recruit the recruiters. That's a thought. So I just that's that's odd to me because you you think oh these guys only work in television commercials film but that makes sense there's so much out there that you would be doing that and it didn't even occur to me to ask about scientology yeah what, what's another odd one another maybe industry that you've well the other, the other industry i mean you know for for universal studios uh islands of adventure in florida yeah okay. i've been there yeah okay we built all their torches Oh yeah, when you're walking the path, yeah. When you walk, yeah. In, when you walk into different places and a thing, you know, and and that, you know, in our industry, we're we're either really busy or we're dead. Okay, so when we're dead, uh, you try and get something to supplement. Mm -hmm. And we got involved with building these torches that that light on command and stuff like that. They actually had one in at Universal Studio and Universal City Walk out here in California, at. Uh, uh, hot topic mm -hmm. uh, and uh, so that's like an offshoot another offshoot we've done we've done display pieces for coffee bean tea and leaf okay because because we've got a full manufacturing shop that that we built we can build prop prop pieces woodwork stuff like that so you know we try and supplement it when when things aren't good because you know, there was a big time there in the 
early 2000s and stuff where uh, visual effects, practical effects were, oh no, we'll do it in computer. Mm -hmm. Okay, and after the whole thing from Star Wars and that died down and everybody now was trying to do everything on set with visuals, okay, uh, many a shop went out of business. Yep. Okay, because when the whole Star Wars thing broke, uh, tons of shops opened up, okay? And uh, when the whole computer animation stuff came in like that, you know, uh, it killed a lot of shops. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now we, and, 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 and to this day, it, it is, you know, 50% of what it was in the day. Okay. Yeah. As far as what it is, but it's kind of turned around a little bit back where, where the directors and stuff want physical stuff on set. Yeah. They want to see stuff. Okay. And they don't, they don't, you know, they got so much green screen and stuff going on that, you know, it's, it is, it's, tends to be sometimes a combination of of effects like like we did we did makeup for the avengers movie uh where um uh, captain rogers uh girlfriend she shows up old yeah well we did an entire old age makeup for her okay but they had to add to it for some reason with cgi so mm -hmm. that's where we're at right now trying to find that balance now, it's a tool, right? And we've talked to a lot of directors on here, and they always say, like anything else, it's a tool. And it's CGI is great when it supplements what you can see already. Correct. When it erases the line to whatever mechanisms being operated, right? The hose or whatever. Whatever's, when, it, when it's there, that's when it works best, is when you combine all these tools. If you overuse any one tool, then it doesn't quite work. This is true. Yeah, and so also that, from from our standpoint, I still feel I still feel like if you get rid if you don't have practical effects, animatronics, makeup in a movie, you're losing some of that magic that is Hollywood. You have to have those elements into it because if they're gone, what's the point? Well, we we believe that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know we're talking, but we're also people. I also don't own a, a Kindle. You know, I just like books. I'm a tangible kind of guy when I carry it yeah. around. Um, yeah, no. Um, so I, go ahead, Jeff. We, 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 you know, you've worked on Captain America, the Avengers, Super Mario Brothers, but um, I do want to ask uh, about Spy Hard. <laughs> sure. I, do you have any stories of working on that movie, Leslie Nelson, Andy Griffith, for God's sakes? Andy was old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that wasn't old age makeup? He, he was, he was, he was. He, he was moving slow by that time, okay? Uh, we did, you know, we did a ton of stuff for that show. Um, uh, the, the, the mechanical uh, Velociraptor, you know, is, is what I, I worked on uh, as far as, and there was another one where you're doing RC control for the, for the mouth and the eyes and the, and the, and, but my partner, John Pfeiffer, was in, in it, actually, for it. Um, but we did a lot of makeup effects, a lot of, um, you know, the, the stretch arm where he's, where he's falling off the mountain or something, holding on to somebody. 
So uh, that was it was a, it was a fun set, but it was a crazy set, you know, because they were all over the place with what they were doing. Yeah, because you got it has to be weird that you did stuff for True Lies, and then here you are working on a movie that parodies Excellent. True Lies. Exactly. I think that's part of the reason why they brought us in. Oh. <laughs> well, that makes sense. Yeah. Which leads me to the next one. You worked for years on Star Trek, and yeah. now you guys are working on the Orville, which is just the next generation. Right. And now with but, Seth. Well, we actually worked only on the first two seasons of Orville. Oh, and then, okay. And then, and then basically what happens is, is that you know, with a show like, or any, any show it's, if there's a property master or a customer or something like that, that likes your shop. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then they use you. Okay. When season three came around for Orville, they changed the property master. They changed the customer and they had their own favorite shop that they went to. And is that because it went to Hulu or is it going to Hulu? No, it was, it was just because it was just because they changed personnel. Yeah because one of the things that uh, 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 on Orville, the person that brought us in was Joe Porro, mm -hmm. who was the customer on the show. But then he left after the second year. And when he gone, then we were off. Yeah. But, you know, as back to Star Trek, I mean, we're back on Picard. Yep. So, you know, we've been doing, we did a whole bunch of stuff for the first season and I'm actually starting, I've actually done stuff for season two. What are you doing? What did you do for the first season and what are you going to be doing for season two? Season one, we did the, when uh, in the, I believe it's the first episode when the data drawer opens up mm -hmm. and data's all in pieces. Everything but the, everything but the head, the head was from a previous, I believe one of the Star Trek movies. Everything, all the body parts were actually me. <laughs> Oh really? Oh gee, <laughs> that's are awesome. You gonna, are you going to start doing Star Trek conventions now and signing as as yeah. his body double? You should. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's because you know they they uh, they had the day ahead, but they wanted the rest of the body, so we ended up casting me at the shop because I was around, you know. Yeah. And uh, but we did we did that. We've done a bunch of props for it. We've done a. Uh, uh, and uh, and then at the end of the ep of Picard, we did the actual body that Picard morphed into, yeah. or that Picard changed into before it looked like Picard. They had a body on it, and uh, we did that. Um, they didn't show it a lot, you know. That's another one of those things you put all that effort in. You wanted to have more screen time, but we're not in control of that. Right. Yeah, we we but. have interviewed someone that did some body work for um, uh, Doctor Sleep and things like that, and, and the amount of detail that never Robert gets seen, Kurtzman, yeah, yeah, or that's under dirt, or that's you know, it's like oh, I'll, and you're like oh, that's somebody did a lot of effort there, and well, one of the funny things is, is that you know the you know they'll uh, what we've learned over the years is that. Um, you know, somebody comes in and says, we got this movie, we got this prop and, and we have to budget as far as, well, how much is going to cost to make this, you know, severed head. Okay. So then we have to ask, you know, well, how's it going to be seen close up medium, you know, background, you know, so 
a lot of times whenever they say, well, it's just going to be in the background, it's always the first one up in the shot. <laughs> it, it's, yep. it's right out there. So we've learned to, you know, we no longer make stuff at the shop that can't be seen close up. Okay. And a lot of jobs I have to turn down because they haven't got the money to do that. But I, I'm not in control of it once it leaves the shop. But unfortunately, when it gets to set, the director says, what's this crap? You know, and uh, then it reflects on the shop. So we're no longer at that position. You know, we, we're always aware of what they possibly could shoot, even though they said, oh, no, they'll never see that. And on, on Picard season two, uh, we've reached that point where I can't say what we're working on. <laughs> no, uh-huh. you didn't tell me about doing blow with Charlie Sheen. You wouldn't tell me about you converting to what's the God's name. I can't remember. I was sitting here trying to remember. What is it? The, the, in, uh, the actual alien overlord. Yeah. It's something. I don't yeah. know. Xenon. Xenon. Yeah. 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 Something Ball like part. that. Um, I've got to ask because I believe, and I could my information could be wrong, but going back to Star Trek, Mel worked on some of the Next Generation, and 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 I believe um, the Armus costume responsible for killing Tashi Yar, the character of Armus, was I believe credited to Mel. And you also worked on what some people consider one of the greatest unresolved plot lines, doing the parasitic beings, the little um, slug type things. Yes. Uh, in Star Trek. And so uh, some of those, but one of the questions I actually had was you. Is this did, a question or is this just well, commentary? I want to give career. credit where it's due because those are characters <laughs> that people love and still want to say, well, what happened to the parasitic? But you did the Borg and you did a lot of the background Borg for, I believe, Star Trek First Contact and things like that. All that had to be designed, all those extras. And my question may be a weird one, but when you're doing those costumes for extras, do you know the measurements of the extras or do you make the part and then they find somebody that can fit it? Typically they'll give us, typically what we'll do is they'll say, you know, we need so many of this, this, this costume size. And then they find people to fit in it. Uh, Or if it's a, if it's a, um, you know, a lead in it, then we have to get the lead in. So we, we created uh, seven of nines, full board costume uh-huh so we were able we had to do a full body cast of jerry ryan so now was that were you were you in that the had to that have been day? such a terrible I mean, day a, yeah a i mean day. it was you know sometimes sometimes there are tough days and sometimes <laughs> uh but she was great she you know it was that costume was literally you know created it was almost painted on her it was so tight yeah. Uh, uh, and she was so happy when they finally worked her out of that costume. Uh, I was about to say, I, I believe, and I may, I may be getting my stories, but I've heard people say that taking that off of her was not a quick process. No. That there was no quick restroom break. There was no. no, that it was a, like you said, it was very tight. There was some binding things going on. and Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just, just because, you know, Bob Blackburn, that's the way he wanted the design. He was the designer. And uh, so, you know, it, it was, it was an uncomfortable suit, you know, but it looked great. 
You know? It did. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. So much so that no one's forgot it ever since they've yeah. seen it. Right. <laughs> That's true. Now, so do you still, I'm kind of curious now that you own the place, you, you're, I mean, you, you're, do you go out or on location still or i mean because you do work I, a lot with marvel it's, it's, do you spend a lot of time in atlanta i think a lot of things it, are shot it's in a atlanta. lot it's a lot less than it was because i have to be around the shop and stuff right. and usually i'll i send a crew okay mm -hmm. um you know unfortunately now if it's if it's you know if it's a puppeteering job and stuff like that uh i'll usually try and get in on it because it's a sag job because i'm a yeah. sag puppeteer puppeteer and, you know, to this day, I still get checks from uh, Star Trek. I was going right. to ask you earlier about residuals. I really was. Yeah. And then I thought, ah, shit, Joe. It's, it's... No, that's definitely, it's but definitely a thing. What's your smallest check? Three cents. Yep. <laughs> okay. You know, and I, I, I put it on the wall. <laughs> I don't blame you. I mean, you know, there's a 49 cent stamp on it and it's a three cent check. So how uh, silly is that? You know, but, it is fairly silly. It's it's one of the jokes that I make that the working in education we have a retirement company and and uh, that does our investments and every year they give away free T-shirts and I always just want to say whatever that T-shirt costs I don't care if it's ten cents could you just put that in my retirement? Yeah, but oh well, doesn't happen. So do you do you still like to go out on location? I do. Yeah, it's 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 a different change. You know, it's it's. Uh, it's, it's production companies have, uh, you know, it's like, it's like my, my, my old partner, Alan, he's, he spent, cause he's the makeup artist. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, right now he's become Mark Wahlberg's makeup artist. Yeah. And he's gone nine months out of the year. Okay. He's down in South America right now. Yeah. Film, film with Mark. I wouldn't want to be away that long. Okay. It takes a certain type of person to be able to do something like that and live out of yeah. a hotel, be a gypsy. Yeah. It's, it's the whole thing, you know. And uh, who knows what it's going to be like now, you know, post COVID. Uh, you know, nobody's going anywhere. Though, you know, productions are starting slowly coming back. Like, you know, you know Star Trek starting back up again. You know, we do a lot of stuff for Nickelodeon mm -hmm. or their, uh, their uh, uh, Danger Force or the Henry Danger. Mm -hmm. We did all the masks and stuff for the for the kids. And that was that's still filming. So but the protocols and the and the stuff on set is crazy. Uh, well, yeah, elaborate a little bit on that. I well, mean, are well, you are you getting tested every day or well, what? Here, here, here's what happened like just 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 recently. Mm -hmm. um, on the Nickelodeon show Danger Force, the kids, these kids have, you know, superheroes mm -hmm. and they have costumes and stuff and they have masks that, that we've made for them in the past, but the kids grow up. So their faces get, you know, they grow out of the size of the mask they originally did. Yeah. So in the beginning of the year, we had to send three makeup artists, two makeup artists to set uh, to do another face cast of the kids so that we can re-sculpt the masks for them. And uh, before my kid, my guys could get onto set, they had to go down there the day before and get tested. 
and then when they went on the day you can only go to a certain place and it it's very strict as far as uh you know right. interaction there's no more guests on set none of that can and happen anymore okay at least until mm -hmm. this dies down has so, has it uh sorry uh, has it changed any of the way you make anything i mean just thinking no, about pretty, getting supplies much, or it's pretty much the same well one other thing i wanted to ask about was you you all also <laughs> have um the ability to, for people like me to go to uh your shop your your mailproductsusa.com and you sell the stuff so i could in theory try to do some of this stuff myself uh just thinking about that, what type of, I mean, are there certain clients that you see a lot or is it, is, is it people like well, me just, trying to figure out? Just to, just to give you more of a understanding about what happens is, is um, two or three years ago, Alan Apone started mail products. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, creating uh, prosthetic parts and, and uh, packs makeup for the industry. Um, when Alan and I split, and I took over Mel, okay? Mel Products now is a separate company, still in the same building, but so they do all the manufacturing at the building and I'm not part of that anymore. And, but I do all the special effects now. Mm -hmm. That's how we split. Um, um, what was the question again as far as- Oh, I was just wondering about, um, you know, what sort of, do you have, do you see a lot of people doing this is it people doing uh interested in buying the, these products for doing conventions cosplay or, or what sort of clientele they, it was a very big business as far as conventions and stuff like that and cosplay you know now what mel mel products is is pretty much uh they sell a lot to the um the makeup houses around in hollywood and around the country uh, and then people go into like Nigel's beauty supply to get, there's a whole section of Mel products there that they can pick up, uh, items that we've made for, for the, uh, makeup industry and, and stuff Thank like you. that. Okay. So as we start to wind down, I, I had one question and I'm, because I feel that you want, you're kind of nerdy about things because you work in this industry who did you geek out about the most or who has, who maybe kind of you've met them and it's like, Oh, I don't, I, you know, you just, because you meet so many, maybe starstruck is the word. Yeah. Maybe I, it's a director or an actor. I mean, we do a lot of conventions. We moderate a lot. We don't, but there's still every once in a while, there's one or two, you know, for us that will go, Oh, and, and you have to kind of bury it deep and not sound stupid when you start to talk to them. Uh, for me personally, uh, it, it really hasn't been anybody specific. Um, one of the uh, the nicest guys that I've ever met was Martin Sheen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, he was just... He didn't know you were doing blow with his kid. Right. That he had no <laughs> Sorry, idea. it's an ongoing joke. I can't stop. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that was when I was younger and when I was first at the shop and he actually came in and talked to me and I'm like, Oh my God, it's more interesting talking to me. Yeah. And I just watched apocalypse now, you know, right, like, right, right. Oh. Um, uh, I, I thought I would be, you know, impressed with Arnold and stuff like that, but you know, not really. It didn't, it didn't, you know, mm -hmm. so, so for me personally, there really hasn't been a lot of awestruck moments. 
Joe, Joe hinted at Joe hinted at, uh, we mentioned this earlier, but I don't, I'm, I'm just kind of curious because it seems like repeatedly in your, in your company's repertoire of clients, the person who shows up the most is Samuel L. Jackson. So well, that, that's basically because first of all, Sam works all the time. <laughs> I mean, he, it's he, the resumes that Sam has is just amazing. But the biggest thing about that is, is that for a period of, it's no longer, but for, for a period of seven or eight years, Alan Apone, my partner, right. was mm -hmm. his, makeup artist, his personal makeup artist. So anytime anything that Sam was in, Alan was working on him and he was working on his movie so that, you know, we had to do stuff for Sam. Yeah. Uh, I've got to ask one more question question and it's just because it's listed on the services your shop provides vehicle modification yes what are some vehicle mod what are some common vehicle modifications you do for film well we did um you know we built a full running thomas the tank engine i saw that one yeah because my kid loves thomas and i was trying to where did you do it for for parades they used it in parades mm -hmm. um Back in the early days of Mel, they did all the mechanical vehicles for um, um, Metal Storm. Yeah. The classical. Mm -hmm. um, you know, right now, um, interesting thing is, 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 is I'm, I'm redoing a, uh, this, an old 66 uh, Batmobile. Yeah? Yeah, because... A friend of mine had had a kit from 35 years ago and I finally bought it off him. And so I'm trying to restore that just for personal geek kind of, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, yeah. But why wouldn't you, if I had the, if I could figure out how to do it, I'd do it best. I've, I've got to ask, what's the base model of Thomas the tank engine and what's his top speed? <laughs> it's a slow mover boy. Let me tell you. <laughs> so it's not like a Ferrari engine under Thomas. We're not going to. Not at all. All right. One last question and then I'll let you go. I, I got to know, what have you taken from the set from something that you just keep at your house? At my house. There's got to be something. I haven't got, no, I really, not from any really? set. Yeah, not from any sets. You know, I, we, you know, when, when we, yeah, nothing really. You know, I, I, I had taken a, we, when we were in the whole, uh, 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 fire effects mm -hmm. and stuff like that. We started doing uh, uh, fireplaces and stuff for very high-end people. Mm -hmm. Got a couple of napkins from Simon Cowell's house. <laughs> <laughs> so you were putting in fireplaces at, at Simon Cowell's? Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> and then he eventually saw, he, then he ended up selling the house. So, you know, it's like, you know, so it was, it was very strange, you know. We get into a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. That is odd. I can't believe that was at your what, oddest question when we were asking earlier, oddest question. Well, I was in Simon Cowell, still in his napkins, put it in a fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> well, was James, it like a fireplace that had an effect? Or was it just, oh, you just wanted a big you know, fireplace? You, you push a button, it comes on. No, yeah. no I mean... <laughs> We, right. we have interviewed uh, people that have done pyrotechnic effects, and they definitely have that skill set. So, yeah, yeah. Andre Ellingson, right, Chad? Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Well, we appreciate your time so much. Thank you for coming on the show. Gentlemen, you have anything else? No, I just sincerely thank you. And like yes, I sir. said, I, uh, I, I've been obsessed since uh, Jeffrey Combs shared that photo. So thank you for not immediately blocking me when I contacted you. Oh. This has been phenomenal. Thank you. All right, Paul. We're going to stop recording, and then we'll just say bye to you, okay? This has been okay, Bonehead great. Weekly. Thank you, Paul. Grrrr. <laughs>